like for you to take your Bible this morning, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3, as we continue our study in the book of Colossians. This is a town in the Lycus Valley, along in this town is the city of Laodicea and Hierapolis were in this town, and they were all probably formed as a result of Paul's teaching in Ephesus. Paul spent three years there, and uh, the message went out from Ephesus and spread to these cities, and churches were developed. Paul himself personally had never been to Colossae, never seen the people, but Epaphras had, and Epaphras was a close brother and friend to Paul, and so uh, he was informed by Epaphras what is going on there. And we just went through the fact that the church was facing all kinds of little legalistic rules, asceticism, legalism, and all this kind of thing, that if you follow these rules, you will be spiritual. And uh, these kind of things are taking place if you just follow the rules. Like if you go to church every day and go to Sunday school and go to prayer meeting faithfully, these are rules that if you do, you get points with God. and You can add them up. Well, that's not the way it works. Uh, it's not up to us. It's our reliance on God's Word and our reliance on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to count ourselves dead unto sin. Our responsibility is to count ourselves. We don't have to do this. We're led by our love toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And if an issue comes in our life, whether we should do it or not, we go to the Lord. We take his word and we say, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this or that? For example, uh, even the issue of maybe something comes up and you're a little bit guilt feel guilty about maybe you can't even go to church that Sunday. Should not go to church that Sunday. Well, go to the word and see what he says. What does he say? Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. And ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? You want me to plow corn or go to the church? You want me to go to the family reunion or go to the church? What do you want me to do? What's the most impact that I can make by serving you? And he'll give you the answer if you're honest and seek his word in these dealings. It's not, I go because I have to go. It's go because I love the Lord and I love his word. I love the Lord. Uh, how, how much do you love the Lord? How, how faithful are you to him? These are questions you've got to ask yourself. We pick up the story in Colossians chapter 3. We all started it last week and we, didn't, we got through chapter 2. But let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And Paul says to the believers, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and literally that should read, since you've been raised up with Christ, first class condition in the original, keep seeking the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep seeking, keep going there. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. There's a contrast here. We talked about it in, some, in our Bible study this morning. There is the wisdom of the world, and there is the wisdom of God. 
The wisdom of the world comes in all kinds of colors, but it's all wrong. The wisdom of God is one wisdom found in the word of God. And so you should seek what God says, not just what seems practical. What God says. Do what God says. Put your mind there. And we talked about the fact that we are living in a mindless world. In fact, books are written. Take your little computer brain and ship it to the moon and go by feelings. No, go by facts. Christianity is a propositional truth. It's not something you feel. It's not something that comes via vibrations. It comes through the brain cells as God implants them in the words of your mind. Since we died with Christ, our old life is gone and only the remnant of the old sin nature is left. It need not be obeyed. When a temptation comes from the sin nature, from your flesh, it doesn't have to be obeyed. You don't have to do that. You have the power of the Spirit to overcome the temptations that come into our life. We have been separated from the old life, the old ways, the old habits, and the old friends that influenced us to evil once we placed our faith and trust in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. As a consequence of being buried and risen with Christ, we are in possession of resurrection life. Now Paul describes it as being hidden. Well, what does he mean by that, for heaven's sake? It's hidden because we don't always manifest what we are as Christians. Uh, it's not always clear that we are Christians. We have this old sin nature that occasionally takes off and takes over. And times we lose our temper. At times we say things we have no business saying. At times we do things we have no business doing. And if somebody were observing us at that time, they wouldn't think we're a Christian. Right? Yeah, there's times that our life is hidden. But it's still, as a believer, we are one with Christ. However, uh, Christian people may think we're odd or strange and our lives are misinterpreted. But one day, it's going to be revealed what we really are. Thank God for that. The day is coming when our old sin nature is totally out of the picture. And the day is coming when we're totally like Christ. And we don't have this any, any time in our life where we misrepresent Christ. So what is not often seen in our lives? Salvation. We're reconciled and restored to a right relationship with God in, in our person. Aren't we? Or when we're saved, we are. We are one with Christ and we are restored to God. And we treat him as our Lord and Savior. That sometimes is hidden. Salvation, Jesus Christ replaces the inner turmoil of guilt, shame, fear, 
and fills it with joy and peace. Do we always exhibit that in our life? Joy and peace? Uh, you know, I like a kid walking down the street with his dad, and he said, we just passed a couple Christians. His dad said, how do you know? He said, they're frowning. And sometimes the biggest sour pusses in the church are Christians. And are weighted, weighted down with guilt and trouble and everything else. We've all been there. We know what that's like and we don't look like Christians. And we don't exhibit the joy of God in our hearts. Furthermore, we read in the word of God, salvation brings healing to the human relationships. Loving each other as they should. Well, take a look. Is that true of every relationship you and I have? And what are we doing about it? And what are we doing to restore it? And how does that look? We have been restored to human relationships because we've restored to God. And as a result, the Bible tells us, we are to love one another as God what? Loves us. That's hidden a lot of times. Salvation will restore perfect environment to the earth, including animals and land. Are we, uh, how are we doing in that? How do our pets feel? How do we treat them? I'm not advocating here you go on a big conservation thing and save all this. I'm just saying that we have a respect for our environment as Christians. That's all I'm saying. So there are certain things that are healed. But he says in verse 4 of chapter 3 of Colossians, the glory, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The time is coming when Jesus Christ is returning for the church. We call it the rapture of the church. When he comes from the, for the church, or we go through the veil in physical death before he comes, we will be revealed who and what we really are. And even though we may live 60 to 90 to 100 years down here, we have the assurance as believers in Jesus Christ, we will live all eternity in a body, in a life that reveals Jesus Christ only. No temptations, no sin. Holiness. You know what the Buddhists and Hindu think when they die? For example, they believe that eternity is an impersonal absolute where no self-consciousness or tangible exists. A person will be a drop of water dropped into a vast ocean of mystical impersonal reality. Would you look forward to that? <coughs> Going into nothing? First John 3, 1 to 3. Take a look at that one. First John 3, 1 to 3. <coughs> First John chapter 1, verse 3. See how great a love the Father has 
bestowed upon us. That we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. Why? Because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Will be. We've already been discussing that. It, we don't look like we are going to be. We know that when he appears, we shall or we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, him purifies himself just as he is pure. We are going to have a life in glory. What is that like? We talked about it when we talked in the kingdom series to some extent. We're not going to be sitting on a little uh, bank of a nice little pond with a fishing pole and our feet in clear running water. We are going to have it's a life of experiences and activities like we have now. Only without sin and full enjoyment. Think of eternal terms as a healthy, social, cultural, relationship, activities in the context of love and righteousness with no taint of anything that's negative. We think of heaven as some mystical place where angels are floating around and we're walking through a city filled of gold and silver and there'll be a great city there. But there'll be commerce. There'll be trade. There'll be nations. There'll be interaction in the new heaven and new earth. There'll be it in the millennium as well. But there'll still be a little bit of sin. But in the new heaven and new earth, it'll be a glorified. And God will show you what he intended you and I to be on this earth when he created us. What a day. What a day. So think of eternal life in that sense. Now he gives ghosts to us in verse 6 to 17. And he talks to us about godly living and its verification. The elimination of the old life, verses 5 to 11. And he talks to us about the physical part of life in verse 5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And then he gives the following list. Okay, we've talked about that before. You, got, you, you have to think of going back in Romans 6. And think of dedicating your body to the Lord. He talks about there. And since the believers understand they're identified with Christ, they've come to the realization that little rules don't work. They've been delivered from the trap of legalism, asceticism, and false intellectualism. The verb consider is an aorist active, which means, and an imperative, which means, consider good as dead. Your members of your body to do sin. And it's in the aorist tense, so it means it has a military kind of command. Do it. At once, do it now. 
The sexual sins that are referred to here are formed in the mind and acted out through members of our body. You say, but shouldn't talk about this in church. Paul wrote it. And he listed the sins. And he's very explicit. Christians, let's not cover our head in this. This is pervasive. This hits all of us. Where we are. It's not a, not a new problem. It's as old as what? Remember Lamech? In chapter 5 of Genesis? Polygamy. And he bragged about it. Remember Genesis 6, what caused the whole world to be destroyed? That was sexual sins. What destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? And what has put to death many of the cities and nations of the world? God's judgment on this sexual sins. And where are we in this country right now? When the old nature tempts and it comes to mind, immediate action is demanded. Tossing these temptations in our mind and playing with these temptations leads to disaster, leads to sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, this is a church house. People call this sanctuary, this room. I don't, but people do. It's a worship center. But even as a worship center, we have a little respect for it. We wouldn't come in here and have a beer party. Would we? Certain things we wouldn't do in here. Simply because we respect God and the house we built to worship Him. It's not sacred. There's nothing sacred about this building. And if you drive through here right now, somebody driving by, they could say there's Countryside Bible Church. Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, somebody drives by, this is not Countryside Bible Church, it is Countryside Bible Church House. Countryside Bible Church is all over the community. Who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You and me. Individually. When you put your hands in the Lord's hands, gave him your life, trusted him as your Savior, counted him as your Lord, repented of your sin, you became and I became the temple of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. So how do you handle that body? How do you handle that body, teenager, when you're sitting with a date? 
How do you handle your body, man and women, when you're alone or with somebody else? It's, a, it's God's body. Romans 6, 12 says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. The mind, the eyes, the hand, the feet, your sexual parts need to be dedicated member by member to the Lord. When I went to Bible college in the providence of God, I didn't know, about, know anybody in school, so they just locked me with some people in a room, dorm room. And I got in with two men Johnny Sackett and Bob Dodonna. They were navigators. And these two guys got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, went and had a prayer time, and read the scripture. I'd never seen anything like it. I've been in church all my life. And I've never seen guys my age dedicated to the Lord in that way. It was a shock to me. I thought, man, these guys are holy jokes. And I can't tell you the really the impact they had on my life later. But one of the guys was very rich, came from Reno, Nevada. Bob came from Reno, Nevada, the only child. And his folks really didn't want him to go to Bible college, thought it was silly. But they gave him everything he wanted. He had four, five, six, seven suits, and Johnny and I each had one. And, and Bob was very generous, and he bought a stereo, which was sign of a new thing. It came in a box, and you opened it up, and it had two speakers on each side. And he bought it in, and man, I could think of all my uh, Ernest Tubb records that I could bring in. And they dedicated that phonograph player to the Lord. We sat there in the room, three of us, and Bob and John both prayed for phonograph player, secretly for me. And we said, we're going to play on this music that brings honor to God. So I went out, first thing I did, I went and bought me uh, Ernest Tubb, 33 and a third RPM. Put it on it. You know what bugged me? They gave that to the Lord and I'm playing some immoral song on this. Did you know that a lot of country music is immoral? Is it? Terribly immoral. Seems I always have to slip around. You could just name titles that are immoral in themselves. You could do that with rock and roll. You could do that with hip hop. You could do that with a big band sound. 
I'm not saying all of it's wrong. I'm just saying what you listen to, you're putting into your mind, and if you sing it back over and over again, you're filling your mind with some stuff that you ought not to. You, you make up your own mind. I'm not legalistic about it. I like country music if there are no words. <laughs> I like the tunes. Now here's what he says. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Here's Jesus talking. What does Jesus think about this? You know this passage once you get there. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. How many agree with that? That's good. That's a good rule. That's a good Ten Commandments. Okay, that's good. We all agree with that. But then if Jesus would have stopped there. But he goes on. He says, but I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lust before her has already committed adultery in his heart. It's a mental thing. Not just a physical thing, it's a mental thing. And it's just as guilty. Different ramifications. So here's what he suggests. The cure. If your right eye makes you to stumble, what should you do with it? Tear it out and throw it far from you. It's better for you to lose one eye of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. Okay. What if your right hand makes you stumble? What are you supposed to do with it? Cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, for your whole body to go to hell. It's better for you to be lame and half blind and go to heaven than have these things cause you to go to hell. That's how serious it is. And, and uh, immorality is absolutely pervasive in the United States culture right now. It's always been there, but it really is right now. I mean, you go to Romans chapter 1. And God just keeps turning them over and turning them over. And the last time he turns them over, it is rank homosexuality. We're beyond that, guys. We have people parading in our state capitol for us to feel sorry for change of gender and sex changes. Why not raise your boys as boys and girls as girls? And if they have those tendencies, then teach them the, to be a boy. Teach them to dress like a boy, act like a boy, talk like a boy. If it's a girl, make her a feminine. Make her a girl. Teach her to be a girl. How to sit, how to dress, how to walk without being sensual. 
Sometimes I walk in a grocery store in summer and I think, good grief. Don't you, men? So the first thing he lists is impurity. Sexual immorality is the first word. Porneon from pornography. Commonly translated in the Bible as fornication. But a general term for immorality when in and without marriage. The history of the word comes from an idea of selling human bodies for lustful purposes. Christians avoid it. The next word on the list is um, passion. It's really impurity. The Greek, the Greek word speaks of impurity. Speaks of moral impurity in all forms. The mark of this sin is a filthy mind. It is a sensual, suggestive thoughts and humor. Dirty stories. Now this goes to you high school and junior high too. You're not immune to this. When I was on a bus going to a football game or a basketball game in high school, I can't believe they did it. One of my friends could stand in the front of the bus and tell a dirty story all the way to David City and never repeat himself. And the coach let him. We met when we got off the bus and walked into school. We met in the restroom, the men, guys. What do we talk about? How far did you get? That's what we talked about. And I'm not a spring chicken. It reads, it take, it reads illicit sex into the most wholesome of beings. Furthermore, the sign of this sin is pornography, literature, movies, ad infamitum. I would say, unfortunately, we probably have pornography represented here. This church is not immune to it. No man is immune to it. Ad infinitum. It's all available just right there. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Aren't you shocked a little bit about this uh, revealing of this man who had this sex island? And how many of our top leaders went to that island? Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonoring among them. You know what shocked me when I got here? I came from Kansas City. <coughs> and I was coming to a 
clean country. And I kind of thought of it that way after having been in the city and, and seeing it just smashed in your face. Then I found out people my age, after they lost a mate, in order to preserve their social security, lived together without marriage. Then I found out that churches would not actually perform the marriage, but have them say they're married together, but never be married by the state. Do you know the New Testament does not talk about pastors marrying anybody? It's an action of the state. It's a legal thing. In Brazil, if you are in, a, if you are in Brazil as a pastor, and you get any kind of tax break from the government, you have to marry anybody that comes to you by law. So pastors of evangelical churches do not register with the state. They pay income tax. They don't get any breaks. That way, the people in their church go to the courthouse, get married, then they have a ceremony in the church. Passion, third one list in the list. This is a reference to erotic love, public demonstrations of affection, uncontrollable desire, built on self-gratification. One example of this, remember Potiphar's wife? She bugged Joseph like crazy. The only way to avoid that sin is do what Joseph did. Run. Ran so fast he left his coat there and got put into prison on a trumped up charge. We know what that is too. Look at Romans chapter 1 now, just with verse 26 to 27. Men with men, women with women, making out on the steps of our capital. How bad is that? Romans 1, 26 to 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I read that because as though things continue, it may be against the law before long because you can't even read that in public. It'll be considered homophobia. Evil desires denotes bad or evil desires. God created desires for one man and one woman in the will of God, and what a beautiful thing that is. It's a beautiful thing, man and woman in marriage. It was meant to enjoy, it was meant to express love, it was meant to bring children into the world in a context of love. 
The children would come into a family where mom and dad would love them. Both having been a part of their existence. It's turned now into something dirty. It's turned into something that creates guilt feelings. What a wonderful thing it can be. Let me tell you, this, this affects all of us. Huh? You just can't get away from it. You can watch advertisements. You watch a ball game and you're just shocked how they bring out the crud. It's in our advertising. It's in our literature. It's everywhere. It's in our schools. When I first started in a ministry in Hutchinson, it was 19, uh, let me make sure of the date, 67. They were introducing sex education into the public school. So another Baptist preacher and I and the, and the head of the Central Christian School in town, we decided we're going on a campaign and we're going to expose this. We went to the school board. We went to the school, the superintendent, the principals. We even put a show on the air and talked about sex education in the schools. We talked to principals and we said, how are you familiar with SECUS, which was a, a word for the sexual book that they were pushing the government? He said, no, I never heard of it. Well, you happen to have a book right on your desk. There it is, right there. They lied about it. They cheated about it. Publishing companies were about it. Money was behind this like you wouldn't believe. You know what dawned on me? I can't fight sex education. I can preach the gospel and people can come to Christ and grow and grow out of this stuff and be forgiven and have peace in their life. How many victims of this are there? So evil desires, there are good desires that have been turned evil. What can be wonderful expression of love can be turned quickly into selfish gratification. And he ends up with greed. This is the desire to have more. Sin and lust and immorality never satisfy. Illicit sex only increases the desire to have more. And more bizarre shame and eventual judgment. Has it decreased? No, not hardly. Christians, we got to lay it aside. We got to make sure we're not in that trap. And if you're in pornography, or if you're in, your mind is obsessed with this, examine yourself. Are you really a Christian? And if you're really a Christian, Get into the Word daily. 
and maybe find a friend who will check on you and say, what did you read today? Were you in the Word or Playboy? Were you on your phone? Were you on the internet? Where were you? I'm not totally convinced that some of the problems that people have in marriage are already due to pornography. Now, teenagers, junior high, save yourself for the one God wants you to marry. As my dad told me, when you start kissing, you stop talking. And you never go back. As you keep advancing in your physical relation, one with another, as much as you say, I'm not going to go back there, and you're alone in a car, or alone somewhere, you'll go right back to as far as you've gone. There's no going back. Unless both of you break it off and say, we'll get together when we're mature. Sexual relationships before marriage, you answer me, right or wrong? Wrong. Sin. God will forgive you. And God will make it right because a lot of people are guilty of it, have been guilty of it. Aren't you glad God forgives you and restores you back to a proper relationship one with another? I thank him for that. I thank him that he forgives us. And you know, we've all dabbled into things we have no business doing. But God is forgiving and gracious, and he'll restore us to him. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 12. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. I used to tell my sons this. Don't transgress your brother and defraud your brother. What do you mean by that? While you're in high school, it's possible the girl you're with, you'll marry. That's less than likely. But it's possible. So you're sitting with another girl. There's probably some guy's is somebody's other wife. In other words, that girl you're sitting with, guys, may be another woman, another man's wife, right? <clears throat> and somebody's sitting with your wife. 
How do you want that guy to treat your future wife? I know how I want it. I don't want to marry somebody that's been around the barn. I want to marry somebody that God appointed to me and they've kept themselves pure as I will myself. And I'll tell you what. I can talk to married people who have very good marriages, but imbibed in fornication prior to the marriage. What will they tell you? We wish we had not done it. And our advice is, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, we're through that part, so you can come back next week. Let's stand for prayer. Father, these are issues of the heart. <clears throat> This is the kind of thing the Spirit just turns our guts, our insides. But truth hurts, Father, it hurts. But how refreshing cleansing is that we can come to the altar broken and beaten and guilty and shameful, even as we sang this morning that we, we had shame when we came to Christ and he made us a new person in Christ when we trusted him. And Lord, we can repent of our sins and you forgive us and make us new. May each Christian here, Lord, examine their own heart. Examine where we are in our own thought life and what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're listening to. And may we have the courage by the strength of the Holy Spirit to turn to Christ and say, Father, I have enough of this sin. Remove it from me. I don't want to toy with this temptation because they're going to come. Help to embrace us against it. And may each Christian walk out and know what it is to be clean and forgiven. And may each person here who's not a believer surrender to you, Lord, and say, I'm tired of this filth. I'm tired of this way of living. I want to follow you. I want to change a life. I repent of my sins. I believe Jesus Christ died for me and cleansed me. I pray this will take place this morning. It's my wish and my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.